every so often throughout the course of history, patriots rise up at a time of need for truth and freedom. These people are called disciples of liberty for their undying love of freedom. The call has been sounded. Will you answer that call or sit back and let freedom die away? Unifying patriots everywhere against the evil trying to destroy America's freedom. You're listening to the Disciples of Liberty radio show on the America Out Loud Network. Now here's your host, Tim Alders. Welcome to the Disciples of Liberty show. Once again, I am Brian Hyde filling in for Tim Alders here on the America Out Loud Network. So there's a big question sitting right in front of us, and that is, will you claim your birthright as a free individual? You know, that's not the kind of thing most people are going to be thinking about as they're walking down the street. I mean, I admire the ones who do. I think that uh, those are people who probably have it going on. But yeah, a lot of people never really get to that, Which, which when you look around, it kind of makes sense how we have found ourselves painted into a corner. Um, and I'm, I'm going to go off for just a moment here on, on what I see happening in Australia as well as in New Zealand. Now, there are other lockdowns happening elsewhere. There's actually been some pretty interesting violence. I don't know if you saw the video the other day of uh, police in Paris chasing a woman down in a mall, beating her to the ground. I mean, like beating her with batons because she was accused of shopping without a vaccine passport. And the crazy thing about this, you didn't, I, I only saw this because other people posted um, a more lengthy version of the video or some subsequent footage. It sure looked like the same police. They were dressed the same. The uniforms were the same. But uh, after the crowd, after hundreds of shoppers saw police chasing this woman down, in fact, it looked like maybe there were a couple of women being chased down and beaten, the crowd turned on the police. Now, I'm happy to tell you they didn't, you know, beat the crap out of the police, but they made them back down. The police looked around them, weighed the odds and went, yeah, they were hopelessly outnumbered. And they carefully withdrew. And, uh, you know, as ugly as that may have looked, I'm, I'm glad people finally stood up and said something. Right now, people in Australia are having a much tougher time. I spoke with a friend yesterday who has uh, done business all over the world. He's worked for several different uh, corporations that have business, you know, headquarters in Europe and so forth. But he's traveled the world and, and, and done a lot of, it's a banking, you know, kind of thing where he's, he's dealt with people who are from all different countries. Has a good friend living in Australia. I want to say Brisbane. I could be wrong. But his friend called him yesterday and said, hey, I'm actually thinking about, uh, I'm trying to get my family out of here. In fact, we're trying to get to the United States because we can't believe what's happening in our country. Here's the kicker, though. He can't get out. He's not being allowed to leave. He's not even allowed to leave his home. And the stories that you hear about, well, they've got some kind of a new facial recognition software. And if the police want to check up on you, they send you a text message. And you have 15 minutes to send back your text message showing, verifying, you know, a photo of yourself with the facial recognition technology to verify that's you and you're actually in the uh, the geophysical location that you're supposed to be. I mean, that's even Orwell would be like, whoa, <laughs> that's dark. 
I don't, I don't even think Big Brother would have gone that far. It's nuts. It's happening. They're building what they're calling containment camps. But let's, let's just, they're building camps for people who are considered to be at risk. People who will have to be relocated for their own safety. Come on, I'm jogging your memory here. Where have we heard that before? It wasn't just relocating the Jews out of their homes in Europe, you know, for their own safety on on the part of the uh, conquering uh, Third Reich. That's something that the American government actually did to Japanese Americans. Well, they look a little too much like the enemy, so we better relocate them. Where? Well, to camps, yes, for their own safety. Crazy stuff. I mean, crazy that it's happening, not crazy that I'm asserting it's happening. It's it's happening. And it was so interesting to hear my friend talking with someone who's giving him an eyewitness account of what it's like to live under that threat where you can't do anything without government permission. Now, it seems pretty civilized, right? I mean, it's not like they're lining people up and machine gunning them into trenches, right? But the danger is the state is claiming the authority to do whatever it takes And if those in power feel desperate enough, if they feel like, well, whatever it takes is, you know, involves locking people away, denying their freedom, perhaps even killing them, they're going to do whatever whatever it takes. Scary stuff. Sorry, don't mean to be starting out on such a negative note, but I just, I want to put the stakes somewhat into perspective here. This isn't just a matter of, well, you know, the world's going through a few hiccups and, you know, we just got to ride it out and everything is going to be cool on the other side. I mean, I want to believe that. But I think realistically, we've reached the point where the reality is that comfortable, prosperous existence that most of us have come to expect may not be with us long term. In fact, it may be gone. And that doesn't mean life is going to suck every day, you know, from here on. I'm not suggesting that at all. I'm just suggesting that we have seen a shift in what's going on, and it's, it's big. This is historic. This, I've heard the term epical. It's an epical shift that's taking place pretty much worldwide. And the pandemic is a part of it, but there's, there's more to it. There's a, there's a broader sense that there are several different crises overlapping each other. And it is definitely bringing the winds of change along with that crisis. Now, you've heard me talk a little bit about the fourth turning, you know, methodology and that fourth turning historical cycle model. I want to follow up with a column from Jim Quinn, who I highly recommend because of his grasp of that uh, that fourth turning model, but also because he's very detailed and, and he pulls no punches when it comes to describing what he is seeing. And what he sees is that because it has proven so essential to being able to consolidate and maintain power over the masses, the war on COVID will never end. The only thing that keeps it going, you probably already know this, is compliance. As long as the people are willing to comply, as long as they're willing to put on the masks and line up and get the shots and, you know, follow this protocol, do this, do that, shut down your business, whatever it takes, Saw a video yesterday of a business owner in Australia being told, well, you can only, you know, when, when you do have your business open, you can only have vaccinated people. And he was like, well, you know, if that's what keeps our business open, then I guess that's what we have to do. Oh, my word, man. A lot of people don't, don't understand. It ends when you stop complying. 
Here's, here's the breakdown. This is the big picture. Pull up a chair. I hope you're comfortable. Jim Quinn starts with a scripture. This is from Galatians chapter 6. And essentially, it's a man reaps what he sows. That means a person who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. Someone who, who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. The scripture says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And then he juxtaposes this with a quote from George Carlin. And I know you can say, well, that's all right. That's a little bit of a stretch, but uh, there's some truth here. George Carlin says, I have certain rules I live by. My first rule, I don't believe anything the government tells me. Sooner or later, the people in this country are going to realize the government does not give a flip about them. The government doesn't care about you or your children or your rights or your welfare or your safety. It simply doesn't give a flip about you. It's interested in its own power. That's the only thing keeping it and expand. It's that's the only thing keeping it and expanding it where, wherever possible. Now, Jim Quinn wrote a previous article a couple of weeks ago in which he attempted to make the case that the ruthless billionaire oligarchs and their bought-off lackey whores in government, media, academia, corporations, the military-industrial complex, sick care industry, and Federal Reserve have used this engineered COVID pandemia to further consolidate and expand their wealth, power, and control over a frightened, willfully ignorant, compliant populace. I did mention he doesn't mince words. Okay, just double-checking. Well, in the month since that article, he says the powers that be have ramped up the fear, increased their coercive mandates, reinstated mask mandates, and instituted vaccine passports in liberal bastion cities across America. Now, Jim Quinn says, I see these ham-fisted authoritarian dictates as a sign of weakness and their false narrative falling apart. A sense of desperation wafts from the halls of power in D.C., corporate executive suites and left-wing media outlets on the coast who have overplayed their tyrannical hand. Resistance is building among an irate minority of critical thinking individuals who follow George Carlin's first rule. They don't believe what government's telling them. Now, this is the part that I find most interesting because it, it spells some good news, but it also spells some danger. Jim Quinn says their narrative is unraveling as everything they have avowed to be true is revealed to be false. And before I go further, I just want to point out, as it becomes clear that there are cracks appearing, that the, that the narrative is coming apart like a soup sandwich, it's very likely that those in power are going to try to crack down harder, try to assert even more control. What's the basis for making such a statement? Look at what's happening in Australia and New Zealand. I think you could safely point to that as that's the dry run of how hard can we lock it down and how quickly, how thoroughly. Jim Quinn says, no matter how many truth-tellers Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube censor, deplatform, and suppress, there are many more stepping up and destroying their mendacious, provably false plotline. Despite half the country indoctrinated by the government education system to feel rather than think, still shuddering in fear despite being double-jabbed, voluntarily locked down, and masked, the global elite game plan is, is self-destructing under the weight of an avalanche of deceptions. 
despite an all-out authoritarian fear campaign to mandate these unproven, dangerous gene therapies disguised as vaccines orchestrated by our corrupt political class, bought-off medical industry, big tech censorship media outlets, woke megacorporations, cowardly universities, and left-wing fake news propaganda outlets, more than 40% of the population is resisting this tyrannical medical apartheid. Now, 40%, I know you think, well, that's, that's not even half. That's a lot of people. Even if it was only 2 or 3%, that would be a lot of people resisting. Even if it was only one person, it would still be the right thing to do. Jim Quinn says this past week had a surreal quality as false narrative after false narrative was annihilated by unequivocal facts presented by a minority of truth-seeking bloggers. And this included uncaptured doctors like Robert Malone, Pierre Corey, Martin Koldorf, and a few remaining real journalists like Glenn Greenwald, Tucker Carlson, Alex Berenson, and Joe Rogan. He says the mainstream media and their social media co-conspirators are nothing but highly compensated mouthpieces for the deep state, big pharma, and the billionaire oligarchs calling the shots. So where's that resistance coming from? Okay, here's some more good news. The resistance is coming from alternative media websites, independent bloggers and individuals seeking the truth. Online communities of like-minded individuals are the modern-day committees of correspondence as we head towards inevitable conflict. A revolution is in the offing and those trapped in their own cognitive, cognitive dissonance trance with a dash of normalcy bias are going to be shocked out of their self-induced stupor by the suddenness and extreme violence of the pushback set in motion by the power elite. Now, these sociopath global tyrants actually believe they can dictate and control the actions of 7 billion human beings through the capture of politicians, the military, universities, the corporations, the banking system, the media, and now the medical industrial complex. The maniacal determination of those controlling the levers of power behind the scenes to coerce these experimental gene therapies upon the populations of the developed world should make any critical thinking person pause and ask why. This flu has a 99.7% survival rate and has a fatality rate less than the annual flu for those under age 21. But universities are mandating vaccination in order to attend their $60,000 per year woke indoctrination centers to get a degree in gender fluidity studies. Meanwhile, the vaccination rates um, of 90, with vaccination rates of 98% on campuses Cases from the worthless recalled PCR test are surging. Big Pharma captured vax cheerleaders in the medical and media industry who do not allow the facts to interfere with their scripted narrative. Keep peddling the fear. Their solution is we got to vax harder and blame those who choose to let their immune systems do the job for the surge in cases. Well, why not go with the big lie? It's worked so well thus far. Now, see, here are some numbers to back up what Jim Quinn is talking about. This is where I love his analysis. The truth is, cases peaked in early January at 260,000 per day. Miraculously, with virtually no one vaccinated, daily cases fell by 60% in the next month to 110,000 per day. By early March, with just a 10% national vaccination rate, daily cases fell by another 40% to 64,000 per day down 75% from the January peak. 
Do you see what he's saying here? The vaccine had absolutely nothing to do with this decline in cases. By early summer, this pandemic had lost its mojo. The threat of a return to normal was unthinkable to the power elite. Now, their master plan called for the vaccination of all, but less than 50% of the adult population had succumbed to the fear propaganda campaign. It was time for Biden and his controllers to turn up the heat on corporations, hospitals, universities to enforce vaccine mandates by either bribing them with federal funds or threatening to withhold federal funds. Money talks. The unconstitutional demand that employees and students inject themselves with an untested chemical concoction to retain their jobs or get an education is legally, morally, and medically unethical. It violates the Nuremberg Code. He actually has a sight of the Nuremberg Code, or at least some of the uh, some of the relevant points of it. Number one, informed consent is absolutely essential. Number two, qualified researchers use appropriate research designs. Number three, a favorable risk-benefit ratio. And number four, the participant must be free to stop at any time. Now, they invented their new variant, Delta, and then rolled out our present-day Mengele mass murderer, Anthony Fauci, to lie, obfuscate, and instill fear in his feeble-minded worshipers. Day after day, Fauci appeared on the fake news networks promoting the new vari- his new variant, with which many renowned doctors, including one of the inventors of the mRNA vaccines, Dr. Robert Malone, theorize has been created and made more infectious by the vaccines. Are they that diabolical or just plain stupid? Natural immunity through infection has proven to be 20 times as effective as the vaccines. Oh, and by the way, did you know that in the Ministry of Truth, this is true, I I think it was the, uh, it's either the World Health Organization or the National Institutes of Health. They've now changed the definition of why we do vaccinations. And and if you don't believe it, you can go back and actually look at screenshots of what what it used to say, You know, a year ago, what it said 10 years ago or 12 years ago, they used to talk about vaccinations being a key part to helping to promote immunity to certain diseases. Now, the definition just says it offers some protection from symptoms or some offers some protection. They've dumbed it down. They sent the original definition down the memory hole. Isn't that something? And by the way, with that huge surge in testing, they were able to generate an increase in cases, but less than 50% or with 50% less hospitalizations and deaths than when cases were at the same level back in January. And now the cases have peaked on the same timeline as in as India and the UK experienced in June and July. Jim Quinn says this explains the desperate nature of of their actions as the window of opportunity is closing and their fear mandate is or their fear narrative rather is unraveling. There are millions of people beginning to make a stand against the government and employer authoritarian mandates. This past week hasn't been a good one for the purveyors of pandemia as their storyline collapses under the weight of their duplicity. The entire case for vaccinations, not just the revisionist history case being made today, was they were 96% effective in keeping you from contracting the cold virus. Now, in January, that's what we were told by the experts like Fauci and Walensky. They didn't tout the vaccines as a way to reduce symptoms when you still caught it after being vaccinated. The surge in cases was declared to be a pandemic of the unvaccinated. 
in the shame campaign peddled by the fake news media and government apparatchiks spouting provable falsities. He also points out here that it seems Israel has become ground zero in destroying the globalist narrative. As the first country to mass vaccine with over 84% fully vaccinated, how could 86% of all the cases in July be among the vaxxed if vaccinations work? And if the tripe about the cases being not as severe has been destroyed, as the vaxxed are, and he says the tripe about the cases not being as severe has been destroyed because you see vaxxed people being hospitalized and dying too. In fact, whenever you see the MSM, the mainstream media, using the term rare, you can be sure that they're lying. Now, a critical thinking person may wonder, well, which country on these charts is fully vaxxed and which country has very few vaxxed but uh, distributed ivermectin in mass quantities? And he has a chart in the article and he says the the powers that be do not want people to see this chart because if it's posted on Twitter or Facebook, you'll catch a permanent ban for doing so. Facts and truth are treason in the empire of lies. And if you really want to make a vax proponent's head explode, he says, then bring up the country that did the opposite of Soros, Gates, and Schwab and their authoritarian lockdown formula. That would be the black sheep Sweden. They never locked down. They never mandated masks. They never closed schools. They never closed businesses. They have not pushed vaccines on those who choose not to vaccinate. Cases in Israel with mask mandates and vaccine passports are 1,191% higher than Sweden, where no one is wearing masks and there are no vaccine passports. How inconvenient to the establishment narrative. And since they can't deny these facts, they just don't allow Sweden or India to be discussed. Silence is complicity. Then you have the Joe Rogan saga, which has again shattered their plot line. He infuriated the COVID cultists by uh, previously by telling his young audience, you don't need to be vaccinated. If you're young and healthy and taking care of yourself, you probably don't need it. After all, their survival rate is 99.9975%. Now, the cost-benefit analysis clearly comes down on the side of not getting vaxxed. Then, the 54-year-old unvaxxed Rogan caught COVID and treated himself with monoclonal antibodies, ivermectin, Z-Pak, prednisone, and NAD drip, and a vitamin D drip. He fully recovered in three days. And it should tell you a little something about the mindset of the people pushing the COVID narrative the hardest, that there were people who were angry that he survived, angry that he recovered so quickly. It's like he, he destroyed their argument for why we need to have more control over you and your life by proving that someone could be back to good health in a relatively short amount of time. I mean, he tested negative for COVID in a matter of days. Excuse me. He says, now this was, uh, Jim Quinn says, this was after a full court press of misinformation from the FDA, Big Pharma, media whores, Silicon Valley censorship police about ivermectin being nothing more than a dangerous cow and horse medicine. Despite this safe, life-saving drug being used for humans by, de- by humans for decades and winning a Nobel Prize in medicine for its inventor back in 2015. They just had to discredit it in order to keep the vaccine train chugging along. The 63 studies proving its efficacy in drastically reducing the uh, impact of COVID had to be demeaned and derided. And Jim Quinn says, when you see this level of vitriol, you know the opposite must be true. So it's time to buy as much ivermectin as you can. 
And if there's anything that infuriates the Vax disciples worse than Sweden or worse than Joe Rogan, just mention the name Ron DeSantis in front of them. He has continuously pushed back on the COVID fear narrative, telling Fauci and Biden to shove their mandates and masking of children with no danger from COVID. They were cheering on the surging cases, praying for a mass casualty event in Florida to discredit DeSantis, as he appears to be the frontrunner in the 2024 presidential race against cackling Kamala. Oops. Well, it seems the cases in Florida are crashing. They're down almost 50% in three weeks. Guess that's going to interrupt some people's narrative about what an evil, you know, man he is. We got to pump the brakes here because we're coming up on the break, but uh, I'll come back to this in the next segment. This is from Jim Quinn. He blogs on theburningplatform.com. And this is some pretty straight up truth. I'm Brian Hyde filling in for Tim Alders. This is the Disciples of Liberty show on the America Out Loud Network. Is a record player the best way to listen to music? Of course not. So why are you still taking vitamins that haven't been upgraded since the 1930s? Even if your vitamins aren't hard to swallow, it's time to upgrade to Healthy Cells pill-free, patent-pending microgel supplements that work at the cellular level to boost immune health, sleep better, focus deeper, and stay younger longer. They taste great, convenient on the go, and they're more natural too, without chemical binders, fillers, and coatings. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of any product. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. The cancel culture is determined to destroy our history, bringing violence and terror to city streets. America Out Loud will enhance its own message of love and honor for the American traditions and constitutional values that have always been the backbone of what America means. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. America Out Loud Talk Radio liberty and justice for all Once again, welcome back to the Disciples of Liberty show. I'm Brian Hyde, sitting in for Tim Alders, and this is the America Out Loud Network. I'm really not trying to get your blood pressure up, but uh, it's kind of hard sometimes to listen to a recounting, and, and a real, like, unsugar-coated recounting of all the people and all the institutions that are in play right now trying to consolidate power and control over you and your life. At least it's upsetting to me. Sometimes I hear my pulse in my ears. My goal isn't just to make you mad, but to help you help you understand what we are facing and why it is so essential that we don't just nod our heads and say, okay, do what you have to do. I'm scared. Jim Quinn, in his article, which I'm sharing, called The War on COVID Will Never End, 
talks about how the lefty control freaks are in a full frothing at the mouth frenzy of hate reminiscent of Orwell's two minutes hate in which they ex- they vent their existential anguish and personal hatreds towards their politically expedient enemies. That would be the unvaxxed. Meanwhile, you look at the leftist bastions of Oregon and Hawaii with high vaccination rates and mandatory masking. Cases are soaring to all-time highs. You don't hear about that from Maddow or Acosta. And now universities are back in session with 95% or more of their campuses vaccinated, and the cases are exploding higher than last year at this time. How could this be if the vaccines work? Jim Quinn says the vax Nazis are losing the high ground rapidly. Because it's clear. The vaccines don't keep you from contracting COVID. They don't keep you from spreading COVID. They do not reduce the viral load if you get COVID. They don't even keep you from being hospitalized from COVID. They don't ensure you won't die from COVID. Now, as the narrative police like to say, you know, it's uh, rare that a vaxxed person dies from COVID or the vaccine. It's rare to have an adverse reaction to the jab. And yet there have been more deaths and more adverse reactions to these vaccines in eight months than all vaccines combined in the last 40 years. Now, maybe it's just a matter of scale. But, you know, that would throw a few questions up for a person contemplating whether or not they should get the vaccine. So there is that. Oh, and if you want to try something interesting, search up, I would say Google, but uh, maybe you don't want to, you know, enable Google any further than they've already been enabled. Search up largest monetary penalty for criminal uh, for a, a criminal offense or um, basically largest criminal uh, penalty monetarily that has ever been handed down i think you'll find very interesting um, who uh, was given that penalty and why they were given that penalty i'm not going to spoil the surprise but won't surprise you i don't think it sh- should surprise you Now, Jim Quinn says, last time I checked, it was rare to die from COVID unless you're really old or already sick with some other fatal ailment. Only 6% of all the COVID deaths were from COVID alone. Now, he says, I would classify 40,000 deaths in a population of 330 million to be pretty rare and by any reasonable assessment should not have invoked a planetary lockdown and mass vaccination of billions of people. But he says this war on COVID is no different than our previous war on poverty, war on drugs, war on terrorism. All they do is give government more power over our lives, restrict our freedoms, strip our liberties, and abscond with more of our hard-earned dollars. As Orwell foresaw, these wars are never meant to be won. Just as Big Pharma never wants to cure any disease. Here's a quote from 1984. The war is not meant to be won, it is meant to be continuous. Hierarchical society is only possible on the basis of poverty and ignorance. The war is waged by the ruling group against its own subjects, and its object is not the victory over either Eurasia or East Asia, but to keep the very structure of the society intact. What that means is that the war will never end, at least the war on COVID. There are a myriad of Greek letters once they've milked Delta dry. Now, personally... Jim Quinn says, I can't hear Delta and not be reminded of Animal House and Dean Wormer telling Flounder, fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, son. So he says, if I could give advice to millions of people who've been deceived by this 18-month exercise in dictatorial government tyranny, by paraphrasing Dean Wormer, it would be, fearful, deluded, and willfully ignorant is no way to go through life, people. 
He says, we're approaching a point of no return. Meaning if we don't resist now, we may never get another chance. As the authorities push the limits of their power and trash what remains of our Constitution, we should heed the words of Alexander Solzhenitsyn. And how we burned in the camps later, thinking, what would things have been like if every security operative, when he went out at night to make an arrest, had been uncertain whether he would return alive and had to say goodbye to his family? Fauci's already preparing the ignorant masses for the double-deadly, extra-potent, vaccine-resistant MOO variant. They're already doing focus group studies to best scare the bejesus out of most people. They must keep the vaccine machine rolling. But why? What is their end game? Australia and New Zealand appear to be the testing ground for turning countries into techno-pharma gulags where you will get your quarterly booster and like it, or else. He says the concocted global health scare over a relatively non-lethal virus has been used to destroy our existing economic system and replace it with a Fed-created digital currency, universal basic income for the plebs, mandatory biosurveillance by big tech on behalf of the big government surveillance state, state rather, a Chinese-like social credit system based on your willingness to do as you are told, and a never-ending stream of obscene profits for big pharma and the oligarchs pulling the levers. You will own nothing, cower in fear, obey, consume, and be happy. Now, Jim Quinn says this is the inconvenient truth, but I already know most will line up for their jabs and the reassuring lies of their masters. He has a cartoon that's very illustrative. Shows a long line of people lining up at the theater. The show they're going to see is a reassuring lie. The other theater line which no one is standing in, an inconvenient truth. And Jim Quinn says, I suppose myself and a few others will stay in the inconvenient truth line until this mass deception and a financial system built on a foundation of sand as a hurricane approaches suddenly collapses. Because an unsustainable system will not be sustained. He says, I'm not a team player. I don't follow the crowd. I have a funny thing I do. I think for myself. I invoke George Carlin's first rule, and I add a second rule. I don't believe anything my government says, and I never believe anything emanating from the talking heads and vacuous bimbos pretending to be journalists in the legacy corporate media. By disregarding these propaganda, what everything these propagandizers spout, I'm able to maintain my independence, individuality, and integrity. Here's another quote from George Carlin. I don't like butt kissers, flag wavers, or team players. I like people who buck the system, individualists. I often warn people, somewhere along the way, somebody is going to tell you there is no I in team. What you should tell them is, well, maybe not, but there is an I in independence, individuality, and integrity. One more George Carlin quote. He says, political correctness is America's newest form of intolerance, and it is especially pernicious because it comes disguised as tolerance. It presents itself as fairness, yet attempts to restrict and control people's language with strict codes and rigid rules. He says, I'm not sure that's the way to fight discrimination. I'm not sure silencing people or forcing them to alter their speech is the best method for solving problems that go much deeper than speech. Jim Quinn says everything that's reared its ugly head in the last two years, from this COVID scheme to force injections into every human being, to the woke mantra being forced down our throats by Hollywood weirdos, 
to BLM and Antifa terrorists being loosed on our streets, to a presidential election being stolen through the collusion of the deep state and big tech, to the anti-racist lies being peddled to schoolchildren, to gender misinformation and glorification of the abnormals and freaks of society, to a military purging of nor- uh, itself of normal white males, to demolishing nation-states and replacing them with globalist rule. It's all been part of a larger plan. He says the Great Reset is real. They want to tear our society apart, they being the globalist like Klaus Schwab from the uh, World Economic Forum, the pand- who said the pandemic represents a rare but narrow window of opportunity to reflect, reimagine, and reset our world. And what he's trying to say there is people like Klaus Schwab want to tear the society apart to build it back into a dystopian techno-gulag where the few rule over the many. We will not vote our way out of this, says Jim Quinn, saying just wait until 2022 or 2024 elections. That's delusional thinking. Now, Jim Quinn says, I'm not sure how these vaccines play into the broader plan. But when a sociopath like Gates, who has pushed for global population control for decades, when he's the leading proponent and funder of these vaccines, you should be concerned. Several prominent physicians have hypothesized that ADE, antibody-dependent enhancement, will negatively impact the health of the vax this fall as they enhance new variants and create stronger respiratory diseases. We shall see, says Jim Quinn. Stay tuned. Now he turns to the thought, though, of what's happening economically. With inflation raging out of control in a transitory manner, financial markets stretched to the outer limits, debt being created by the Fed and U.S. Treasury at a rate of $350 million per hour, and Congress about to ramp up spending at, a, at hyperspeed, a financial crisis of epic proportions looms like storm clouds on the horizon. Jim Quinn says, I see no way out of the predicament we've allowed ourselves to create. I don't see how this teetering edifice of debt, deceit, and delusion holds together until the 2022 midterm elections. Yates' second coming has arrived. Things are falling apart. The center cannot hold. And anarchy will be loosed upon the world. They have planted the seeds of discontent and will reap a whirlwind of unintended consequences. A malevolent darkness envelops our world. Jim Quinn says, I'm haunted by the possible dire outcomes of this fourth turning. He says, we cannot let sociopaths destroy our world. He finishes with a quote, too, from the fourth turning. And this is just, uh, keep in mind, this book was published in 1997. Listen to the pattern that was observed by Strauss and Howe. Quote, as the crisis catalyzes... These fears will rush to the surface, jagged and exposed, distrustful of some things. Individuals will feel that their survival requires them to distrust more things. And this behavior could cascade into a sudden downward spiral, an implosion of societal trust. If so, this implosion will strike financial markets and with that, the economy. This fourth turning could mark the end of man, say Strauss and Howe. It could be an omnicidal Armageddon destroying everything, leaving nothing. If mankind ever extinguishes itself, this will probably happen when its dominant civilization triggers a fourth turning that ends horribly. For this fourth turning to be to put an end to all this would require an extremely unlikely blend of social disaster, human malevolence, 
technological perfection, and bad luck. Pretty interesting stuff. So I hope you'll consider that. I hope you consider Jim Quinn, his other, his other analysis on fourth turnings and economic things. He's very blunt. And I don't know, for those, for those who are a little more comfortable with a red meat diet, um, you may like this better, or at least you may find this more palatable. I just like the fact that he just tells it very, very straight. And, and I think for the most part, um, I've, I've rarely disagreed with anything that he has observed. I think he pretty much sees what's coming. Okay, so now I want to I want to turn to something that I know is going to make some people uncomfortable. And if you're one of those who feels uncomfortable with this, please understand this is a process that uh, that everybody gets to go through. The goal here isn't to leave you feeling that sense of oh no, what do I have to do about this? But it's it's more just a recognition that we are in an extraordinary time, and we ought to be considering ourselves more than just you know passive bystanders. Oh, we're just a leaf on the current, you know, that's being carried along towards some unknown destination. I got a great article here from the from AmericanThinker.com. This is from J.B. Shirk, and it's titled, How to Tell What the Government Fears Most. Now, I love that he starts with a quote from Lord of the Rings. I wish it need not have happened in my time, said Frodo. So do I, said Gandalf, and so do all who live to see such times. But that it is not but that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. Now JB Shirk says, I'm of the opinion that we are all part of one of the great epical shifts in human history, and that what we fight to secure today will reverberate through society for generations. He says, We did not ask for this moment, most of us. In fact, have hoped that by quietly enduring the hardships that come our way, our toleration of what is intolerable would somehow be rewarded with comfort and peace. As with all turning points in human history, however, the desire to ignore obvious trespasses in order to forestall conflict has had the effect of encouraging further harm until conflict is all but certain. Like a garden hose tied into a knot, societal pressure has been steadily building, and everybody senses that it could pop at any time. As with all revolutionary movements, or moments rather, at the root of this conflict is an idea. Now here's the good news. In one word, that idea is freedom. Now governments have been manipulating this word for as long as human beings have been demanding it. Lenin seized power in Russia while claiming to free the proletariat masses. In FDR's famous Four Freedoms State of the Union address in 1941, The president defended freedom of speech and freedom of religion, but also insisted it's the government's responsibility to ensure freedom from want and freedom from fear. In the days since the United States Supreme Court refrained from interfering with the state of Texas's decision to limit abortion after the detection of a baby's heartbeat, pro-abortion Americans have insisted that a woman's freedom to terminate her pregnancy up to the moment of childbirth supersedes the baby's freedom to live. J.B. Shirk says, so when I say this revolutionary moment is at its heart a conflict over freedom, I must be clear that it's an ideological battle pitting human life and free will against the commands of collectivist authorities. Namely, that individual liberty is a moral imperative, being threatened by an increasingly all-powerful globalized government run by a small handful of decision-makers in the name of the greater good. 
Every interaction between government and citizen today tests how far individual liberty may be diminished before the public pushes back. Should authorities have the power to close businesses and prohibit public gatherings in the name of health? What if the risk to the public's health is less than 1%? What if the risk is merely one one hundredth of 1%? If the government can interfere with liberty when there is any degree of risk, can there be any degree of liberty? If the government can make you afraid of something, imaginary or not, May it then control your life completely in order to guarantee FDR's freedom from fear? Does depending on government to ensure freedom from fear not incentivize government to invent new fears that only additional government powers can vanquish? Does this not subsidize fear with taxpayer dollars and guarantee that the government will always strive to make its citizens afraid? Can it really be true that individual liberty should be allowed to exist only when there is nothing that can hurt us? I mean, isn't that what a master might tell his slaves? If truth exists independently from governmental decree, and science is a process in search of truth, then why are governments working with Google, Facebook, and Twitter to censor scientific debate? If truth is so fragile that it will not survive false attacks... Is science so dependent on official edicts that it must be regulated and practiced by only a small priestly caste? If scientific consensus depends on government creating a monopoly over information, does this mean that truth is whatever government deems it to be? Since government is incentivized to invest in fear, it's likely that government will is is it likely that government will ever declare a truth that isn't also scary? And if government power grows by monopolizing information and weaponizing fear, then isn't the greatest threat to government an independent citizen unafraid of thinking for himself? Is it not true then that every single person is capable of destroying the illusion of total government control? Is it not true that leaders can rise from anywhere, whether at local school board meetings or in football stadiums, even from spontaneous testimonials during Red Lobster dinners? Is it difficult to imagine freedom speakeasies popping up wherever freedom is outlawed? Is it not true that there are more citizens than jail cells, and that when enough people choose to disobey unjust laws, government must choose either to change the laws or lose its powers? Is it not true that every fight for freedom throughout history has started with a spark that catches fire? Is it also not true that sometimes the worst brush fires spread and things get unbearably hot for a while, but then great growth rebounds after that? J.B. Shirk says, I'm of the firm opinion that not only does the course of history refuse to follow some linear arrangement dictated by those in positions of power, but that it also often ricochets against the most concerted efforts of those attempting to direct its currents. During these moments of self-inflicted backfire, history is up for grabs. Great leaders rise and even greater ideas emerge. For Americans, the proportions, the propositions rather, that set our ancestors free beckon once again. I like this quote that he shares from President Calvin Coolidge. Coolidge rather. He observed in his 1926 timeless speech celebrating the 150th anniversary of America, some truths are set in stone. President Coolidge said, quote, If all men are created equal, that is final. 
If they are endowed with inalienable rights, that is final. If governments derive their just powers from the consent of the governed, that is final. No advance, no progress can be made beyond these propositions. If anyone wishes to deny their truth or their soundness, the only direction in which he can proceed historically is not forward, but backward toward the time when there was no equality, no rights of the individual, no rule of the people. End quote. So in this case, J.B. Shirk says, look, we didn't ask for this moment, but we should have the strength of character to see it for what it is. Then when we have the then we have the power to determine what happens next. All we have to decide is that freedom is worth defending with the time that is given to us. Now that's going to look different for every person. But don't let that intimidate you. How you use your time is something that you get to choose. And if you're using your time um, strictly to rally the vote, I know it feels productive, but it's, I think that's that illusion of I'm looking busy, look how busy I am, but it doesn't really have the impact. You're not going to solve problems that were primarily created by politics by adding more politics. The good news is there are many areas of our lives where we can get involved and we can make that kind of a difference. So just a couple of thoughts. Within the walls of your own home, within your own neighborhood, within your church congregation, even at your workplace, you have influence that you probably don't often think about. Use that influence as wisely as you can to be an example of someone who is steady, who is trustworthy, who speaks the truth, and who speaks the truth not to just to cast blame or to find a scapegoat, but to actually try to solve problems. There, there's something to be said, and I don't know if you've ever seen this in, in action, but I've, I've attended more than a few city council meetings where people just showed up and wanted to complain. And I get it. They, they have a gripe. Often they have a legitimate gripe, and it feels good to get it off your chest. But it's not enough. A lot of people spend their time swatting at symptoms instead of zeroing in on what the root of the problem is. We've got to be the kind of people who can calmly and productively cut to the root of the problem and describe what the solution needs to be. Not just the angry crank who's always going off on the you know city council or whomever. I actually read something really interesting earlier today that I think is worth sharing. This is from Alexander Riley. Um, a, lot of, a lot of kids headed back to school. And they're, they're having convocations to welcome the new class to begin their multi-year stay on campus. And Alexander Riley says, you know, convocation addresses often will come from a college president, traditionally a devastatingly unexciting speaker, while the more lucky students get to hear wisdom disseminated by towering intellectual and moral titans who hector the students about social justice or police violence or climate change or racism or gender politics. But he says, I'm never going to be invited to give an address at such an event. But if I were, he says, I would tell these youthful souls in the remarks that follow that college is the last place that will truly prepare you for life. So his speech would go something like this. Greetings, class of 2025. Our college wanted a scintillating public intellectual to deliver this address for you, but the speaker's fee was steep, so they asked me instead. Sorry about that. We'll try to make the best of it, though, by starting with some big questions. What can you reasonably expect from life? 
many things, but not perfection. Your life will not go as planned, and you should prepare for contingencies. If you pretend you can avoid disasters, they will be worse than if you prepare for them. Though they may still be quite bad even if you prepare. I'm sorry that doesn't sound cheery. I'm just trying to help. What is life for? Many seem to think a career is the meaning of life, but they are wrong. Now he says, don't misunderstand me. Learn a trade. Learn not to hate work if you can, but always understand that your work is the thing you do to make it possible to do other things that are more important than your career. That makes sense. What are these more important things? Well, a spiritual life is one thing you desperately need. Some type of tranquility with respect to your own finitude and the imperfection of the world. The behavioral skills required to surround yourself with a small group of people you love and who love you more than life itself is another desperately needed thing. They are your cocoon against the hardships of the world that will fall upon your head every day. Now he says, I have some bad news. College is not set up to help you intelligently address these two big questions or to get better at achieving spiritual and familial success. You'll get little preparation in these ivy halls for serious adversity. Many people here will also try to convince you that you should be like them. Anxious, depressed people who've made their careers their entire lives and who love and are loved by almost no one. Almost nothing here will point you toward your true needs. A spiritual life and a life mate and the children that are your only immortality in this world are goals humans once did not need college convocation addresses to understand as central to life. It is only college professors and other similar figures in their love of revolutions and the critical thinking philosophies of which they're so uncritically enamored that make it possible for some of us to forget such basic things. Alexander Riley says, instead of these qualities, college offers you, colleges offer you a vision of the examined life that's nothing more than a commitment to a permanent social revolution. It will not prepare you for important things. And it will immunize you against many of the qualities you need to make a good life. You cannot achieve spiritual calm or establish deep and lasting relationships with family if everything that makes you unhappy in the world is cause for revolution. This should be obvious. Now he says one final thought, the most important, start learning to die. Now he says this sounds awful, but it's the most important work you will ever do. Try to imagine it, even while you are young, for it is the truest truth of your life. And learning it is a hard lesson to come by in a culture whose, where eternal youth and the vanity that accompanies it is sometimes worshipped. He says learn to die because learning to live requires it. It's a hard lesson, requiring the entirety of the 70 or 80 year span we have on earth, and indeed most of us never learn it completely. Orient your life to this horizon and ponder, study, meditate, pray on the question of what comes once you hit that horizon. Now, go enjoy the sandwiches and punch, and good luck to you. You'll need it. Seems like kind of an interesting kick in the seat of the pants, right? This is Alexander Riley writing for intellectualtakeout.org. He's a professor of sociology at Bucknell University in Pennsylvania. I think it's pretty solid advice, though. And I think it's something that you and I, whether we're college students or not, can take to heart. If nothing else, the the things that we spend our time wrapped around the axle over, the things that that anger us, we got to ask the question, are they things that actually matter in the long run? I look around and I see a lot of things that seem like they are right tipping on the edge, maybe, you know, about to fall over. 
And it's, it's concerning. But I reflect as I look around me, as I see family, as I see the institutions that actually uh, constitute what I believe is, is an almost infallible support system. I feel pretty confident that if there's shelter from this storm, it's most likely going to be found in family, starting with family and, and radiating outward from there. Kind of speaks to the idea of we solve problems at the lowest possible level, and I think that's a good way to do things in our own lives. It's like Jordan Peterson, Dr. Jordan Peterson always says, you know, make your own bed. He's, he's telling you, you know, get in there and, and make your bed. And then you start to go out and fix the world. But first, get your own house in order. I'm Brian Hyde filling in for Tim Alders. This is the Disciples of Liberty show on the America Out Loud Network. Mm-hmm.